0: I was just enjoying my zazen so much, I just forgot all about it. <laughs> um, there'll be an opportunity this afternoon to do that. Um, so now is the time for the, the talk, and... Um, followed by the inquiry practice. I was, uh, as I was uh, sitting on the veranda, I was thinking, um, those of you who have sat in um, Zen sessions before, or even in Insight meditation retreats that um, are residential-based, um, there are um, often, uh, you know, in 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 uh, in in session or retreat environments, there are opportunities to experience suffering. And so, I have to apologise to you all. There's not many opportunities for suffering today, really. So quite a nice easy kind of uh, schedule but uh, I'm not really apologizing for that um... the uh... you know, the crucible of a a traditional Zen session, which would start at about um, sometimes five in the morning sometimes earlier if you're unlucky um... and and go till nine in the evening um, You know, there were some some uh, um, uh, Soto Zen teachers who used to have the students sitting for 15 hours a day, uh, for 50 minute sits. Can you imagine doing that? I don't think any of us would survive that. Um, So, (laughs) as the uh, as the Dharma comes west, uh, it uh, it eases off a little bit. Um, I was thinking that, um, you know, the when you think about what the Buddha taught, I mean, he taught suffering, but he also taught the ending of suffering. And um, I'm really interested in the ending of suffering. I don't know about you guys, but um, and, um, but you know, there was a you know there was a particular uh, um, way the the Buddha had it looking at suffering, which is very important. And um, so when he, when you when you look at the world around us. Um, what, what do you see as the main causes of suffering today? Fear. Fear. I think. fear yeah. Greed. Greed. Yeah. Hatred. Fear, greed, hatred. Yeah. Jealousy. Yeah, yeah. You know the usual formulations of the three poisons are greed, hatred, and ignorance, and. uh and uh, when the Buddha talked about ignorance, what he what was you know he or she mainly talking about ignorance of what? Truth. Hmm. Um, so yeah, um, you know when when we chant um, in our. Um, um, I'll say a few things about the practice principles today as well. But when we chant, uh, the first line of our practice principles caught in a self-centered dream. It goes to the heart of suffering. That, that is, the uh, as long as we experience uh, ourselves as a separate self at the center, then we're going to suffer. And um, it's that sense in which um, we experience that separateness, either... We're either blaming others for our suffering, or we blame ourselves, and we we, we create the suffering uh, in that way. And uh, this is an endless cycle of self-referencing which goes on. And uh, so, you know, the the Zen Buddhist Mahayana path is is seeing through the illusion of a separate self. And uh, if there's no separate self, then who suffers? Either we all suffer, or no one suffers, right? Or we are we either all liberated from suffering, or no one's liberated from suffering? Because in, in reality, nobody exists, right? And so um, that's where we—that's uh, uh, what our practice is about. Uh, <clears throat> so today, I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm, I'll spend a few uh, minutes talking about the practice principles, because just to confuse you guys a little bit more of. I've introduced a, a change to the second line um, when we chant the practice principles uh, later on today. Uh, it's the uh, I've adopted the uh, the, uh, the practice principles that my teacher Barry Margit uses. Um, in the order in my Zen school, uh, uh, Joko Beck uh, introduced these practice principles, and her practice principles were caught in a self-centred dream, only suffering, holding to self-centred thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, which were kind of like a rewording of, of the Four Noble Truths. You know, the Four Noble Truths being, you know, you know, there is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, there is an ending of suffering, there is a path to the ending of suffering. And uh, so that was Joko's restatement of that. Um, and uh, so um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I want to... Um, talk a little bit about inquiry practice. And... Um, inquiry practice is something that we can actually... Uh, it's always been part of, of, of the Zen tradition, but in the, uh, you know, uh, when uh, this, this, this Zen tradition, this, this unique Zen tradition, which formed in China, out of the unique Chinese mind and culture, uh, when Buddhism came to China and met with Chinese culture and was formed into Zen, um, the uh, the, you know, the Chinese, uh, you know, as, as everyone in those times, the uh, they, they they the monks lived in monasteries and they grew their own food but, and uh, and it was very much of, of course male dominated practice and so it's very patriarchal. So uh, in traditional Zen, often these, these, this kind of public inquiry or a sense in which you explored the Dharma in public was often under the kind of metaphor of Dharma combat, which is, um, you know, this idea of the um, student coming up and uh, demonstrating to the teacher, you know, his understanding, and, and the teacher would either dismiss that or they would approve it, or something like that. With the, uh, with the uh, spread of, the, of Buddhism in the West and the meeting of feminism and psychotherapy, and we have a much more softer and, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, a gentler approach to Zen practice. And uh, so our, our form of dharma combat is dharma inquiry, so that we, uh, we gently inquire into our suffering together. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing today. I feel the earth move. It's a nice song. Isn't it? That's what we want that's what we want we want to feel the earth move under our feet today absolutely <laughs> and um and, and so um also uh with the um you know with all the various streams of psychotherapy we have in the west that's also influenced the way in which we can inquire into our suffering and uh and one of the, uh, my, my teacher, Barry, was a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a psychoanalyst, and that's his particular form of psychotherapy. Uh, my form of psychotherapy comes more from the family therapy t- tradition, whereas I originally trained in narrative therapy. And uh, recently I've also got interested in a new model called in- interpersonal or internal family systems therapy. And which is very, very familiar to, it's very similar to narrative therapy, only it also has the added sort of benefit of um, um, having um, this notion of what it's called in internal family systems, the self, which um, in Zen we probably call no-self, and at the heart of the, of the model of therapy. So it lends itself to, to Zen practice inquiry quite well. And so one of the things we're going to be doing today is I'm going to introduce you to that, that model of therapy as well. And, uh, and it's also, we're going to use that model to um, in, our, in our inquiry writing practice in the afternoon. So caught in the self-centered dream and only suffering, so the sense in which we are... We, you know, we, we 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 caught in this experience of having ourselves and experiencing ourselves as a separate self, the illusion of a separate self, and the sense in which we have to protect or defend ourselves. Um, another way of, of phrasing, I mean, you know, dream is a is a metaphor that's often used in, in Buddhism, um, and um, the uh, and. Another way of thinking about that would be caught in the self-centred story. So the kinds of stories we tell about ourselves and about our life um, also uh, help to uh, capture us and and trap us in that kind of uh, self-centeredness. Barry uh, recently gave a talk uh, on one of the ways that Joko used to talk about practice. And she used to talk about practice as learning to suffer intelligently. And uh, so, to understand that, we have to understand how we how we usually suffer, and uh, that is suffering from the self-centered point of view. So, caught in the self-centered dream or story, the illusion of a separate self, um, we create this dualistic narrative of self and others, and we are caught in that delusion that suffering is something that happens to me. And um, you know, even though we may have a theoretical understanding of emptiness um, and, and impermanence, and, and, and the insubstantiality of self. Um, and even, sometimes, even if we have some deep experiential reali- realizations of the emptiness or insubstantiality of self, um, it's such a powerful default mode that we are conditioned into that it's, um, um, you know, the uh, one of the reasons why um, we, we emphasize everyday practice so much, is that in our everyday relationships with our partners or at work, um, there's so many opportunities for learning and about how to suffer intelligently rather than unintelligently. Because there's so many in you know, times that we get caught into that uh, sense of there's, there's a me in here that's suffering. And, uh, and usually that's... Um, you know first of all, we externalize that you know with why why are they treating me so badly, or why is the world treating me so badly and um, and so we externalize the cause of our suffering in that way, but there's still a sense of me suffering and um, or we might internalize it and we might blame ourselves, we might get into some sense in which why do why did I um, you know stuff it up so badly um, you know what have I done wrong um and we can get into living a life of regret and self-hate. We can become very critical of ourselves. And, uh, and that's, so that's, and, and that's, that's a, just the flip side of the self-centered dream. And so these, these two forms of suffering, which I often quite preoccupy with the unfairness of life, um, uh, create this endless sense in which we blame others or blame ourselves. And this is the way in which examples of our suffering is created and sustained uh, throughout our lifetime. And if we don't learn from it, we just continue to dig a deeper and deeper hole of self-centeredness, which we find it hard to escape from. So Joker wanted to use, as as, as, as the Buddha taught, to use suffering as a way of helping us to awaken by seeing how we get caught in these expectations of self and others. And, uh, and um, And so, often Joker would emphasize the, you know, trying to see when we're caught in an emotional reaction or some form of upset. She talks about, you know, really be aware of when you're feeling upset, having your emotional reaction, and you'll get to see what's going on there, what's the story you're telling yourself about what's happening. And you'll see, you'll get some insight into the, what's the, how the suffering is arising in that moment. And then, and then, of course, you would then teach to, to step back from that and come to, phys- to, to, you know, to physically experience it. So, you know, to, to live a life of non-separateness is, 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 to, is to free ourselves from, from suffering. And uh, when we drop that uh, dualistic dream and, uh, and that simply is that we come back to the direct experience of the physical sensations of fear or jealousy or anger. And in coming back to those physical sensations, if we drop the dualistic story, we're much much less likely to do harm to ourselves or others. We just experience that moment. And then that moment will flow through. It's all about how when we get caught in the self-centered dream, we get stuck and we lose the flow, the natural flow of life. So that's the first line. And the second line of the Joker's version is... um, Holding, you know, this idea of holding on to self-centered uh, thoughts, which is exactly the dream. Um, so Barry thought that was a bit of a, a bit of a, a repetition of the line. It's so not reinforcing the first line, but like, so he changed the the second line to uh, waking to a dream within a dream. So the, the the content of the self-centered dream, using the metaphor of the dream, uh, is precisely of a substantial, permanent self. That's the dream we caught in. We're caught in a dream of a permanent, separate self. And, uh, as I said before, that becomes our default mode of operating. Um, so, um, the, Because a dream in itself, in a natural dream, is fleeting and insubstantial and empty, it's a contradiction. Um, the, the idea of a permanent self is a contradiction to the notion of a dream. You know, we, In the midst of impermanence, we dream of permanence. And, uh, and so much of that dreaming of permanence, whether it's to do with uh, our um, or whether our relationships, or our environment, or what we own or possess, is so much a, a source of suffering. So when we wake up from that dream of permanence, we see that the self itself is a dream that is empty and continuously changing, which is also inseparable from the larger dream of what we're all embedded in, I mean, this thing we call reality is still just the a dream. It's still something which is impermanent and insubstantial, and it's just a never-ending flow. You know, that, that that's the notion of the stream that's just never-ending and flowing is, is is a lovely notion of what it's what it means to um, be a being in this in this universe. And um, so it's this ever-changing, interdependent reality. Everything is interconnected. Um, so this, this notion that um, you know we are separate self is, is, is the basic illusion. That everything on a global level is interconnected. And uh, all the suffering that human beings experience is interconnected. And uh, even though we would like to build walls around that, that we, we, that's just the, uh, the continuation of the illusion which could continues the suffering from one generation to another. and um, So there's no solidity even when we awaken. We awaken to insubstantiality, interconnectedness, everything. There's no such thing in Buddhism as a separate thing. Everything is no-thingness, everything is flow. And uh, so there's nothing solid behind that curtain of of, uh, insubstantial appearances. And you know one of the one of the traps in a lot of spiritual practice, and including Zen and other traditions, is because in Zen we talk about a true self or a, or a no self or a sense in which there's. It, it's it's very easy to th- almost like by default reintroduce a permanent self that we call it a true self you now rather than a um, or an authentic self rather than a. Um, the ego-centred, uh, self-centred self, and that's also another trap of practice to um, have this notion that okay, well, my, my ego self's not real and it seems but I've got this true self which is a kind of permanent thing. Um, but no, neither is that permanent. It's it's more about the uh, the uh, the sense in which there's the uh, the, the clearing the. Uh, in which we can experience ourselves as awareness and not clean, you know, not try and stop the flow, and just have to go with the flow. I mean, just on the the notion of a true self, um, uh, Joko says, um, awareness is our true self, Um, it's what we are. So we don't have to try to develop awareness, we simply need to notice how we block awareness with our thoughts, our fantasies, our opinions and our judgments. We are either in awareness, which is our natural state, or we're doing something else. The mark of mature students is that most of the time they don't do something else. They're just here living their life, nothing special. So there is a sense in which the, the true self is just simply awareness. And you know we don't have to cultivate awareness, we just have to sit and experience it. But that misses out one other aspect of Zen practice, is like like awareness is kind of like a bit of a passive uh, experience, kind of like a witnessing experience, and the the other part of Zen practice is responsiveness as well. So there's a sense in which we need and we are called to respond to the world as well, and uh, and that's that's in traditional Zen, um, and a lot of the koans are about that little stories about how to respond, and um, so you know there's often lots of opportunities in a, in a day or a week where we're called upon to respond to someone in a particular way. So it's kind of like, what does it mean to respond from a true self? What does it mean to respond from a non-judgmental awareness? And, uh, and what does it mean to respond uh, from a place of openness? And,
1: uh, and it's that kind of
0: response that we're looking for. Um, so it's the kind of the conduct that flows from that, you know, um, Zen is very ethically minded, it's about the ending of suffering, it's about the ending of everyone's suffering, not just mine. Because as you know, me is an illusion, so it's about how we respond to each other all the time, and how, do we, how we respond to ourselves at the same time. Um, so, you know, the third line is, well, how do we do this? Well, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. So, each moment is the opportunity to experience what is and uh, and that's our only true reality there's only ever one place we're ever going to be and that's in what is right now Uh, and um, and we know how much we spend our lives often in the future or in the past but i mean there's nothing necessarily bad or right or wrong about that neither i mean there's a sense in which um as human beings we come in we know that the notion the only the reason why we have a sense of self to begin with is that we're stories. Uh, I mean, we are the story we tell ourselves and um, so narrative is not a bad thing, we are itself narration um, and um, so it's important to also bring this, the way in which we narrate into our practice and to and to narrate ourselves into being and, and Buddhism has a lot of stories that we can tell ourselves and uh, The whole idea of um, being part of a tradition is having that sense of uh, being part of a story that's been going on for many hundreds of years now. And uh, so it's that sense in which we join in a communal story which is um, empowering to us and uh, and it is about waking up uh, from the illusion of a separate self. So now is where awareness lives, or no self lives and that's how we suffer with intelligence we just meet whatever is arising in this moment without trying to avoid it or react to it or change it in any way we just meet it as it is and each moment's unpredictable so we open to the experience and being just this moment that's we not that's where the compassion can flow and the compassion the compassion way the compassion that flows flows in all directions including towards ourselves and towards others as well. and um, So there's a sense in which um, what is acceptance plus what is gives us that sense of inner peace and flow. And resistance to what is gives us that sense of suffering or stuckness. And so what we're about is uh, freeing ourselves from the resistance of what is. Or seeing how we get caught in the resistance to what is. That's really important. So in the uh, in the uh, when we at the end of the, this morning's session, we're going to chant the uh, the vows and um, the vows. The bodies at the vows, and um, there you would have many of you would have already heard them, which are you know beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. And Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. And um, so the reason why it's framed in that way, that beings are numberless, I vow to free them, it sounds like an impossible task. And as long as you think in terms of a dualistic world, it is an impossible task. But when we think beyond duality, then there is actually no separate independent self. So it's a sense in which we're all free or no one's free. And... um, when he talks about Dharma gates being boundless or endless, one of the ways of interpreting Dharma gates, which I think is very helpful, is um, there are the everyday challenges in life experience that become opportunities to learn and to grow. So, Dharma gates are like the opportunities for intelligent suffering. So, no matter what we're meeting in this moment, is that possi- the opportunity for, for learning. <coughs> um so um so now i want to say a little bit about um the internal uh, family systems model and why that's kind of like a helpful thing to to complement our zen practice and um the um it's um Many, many, quite quite a number now in the 20th century, a number of psychotherapists uh, in the uh, in their explorations of our of of the, the self uh, started to realise that uh, we were not a unitary, uh, we we were m- more multiple. Uh, we have all different parts or aspects to ourselves, and uh, or you can think of many different stories to ourselves, many different uh, uh, threads, and. Um, so whether you use the metaphor of parts or threads, the idea is we're all woven together, or we have these parts that come into being. Um, and, um, and so when we look at how the, that protective shell arises when we are younger, it's um, one of the ways to, this model talks about is how the, uh, at, a, at, a, at a young age, because we're very young, um, and immature, we, we, the, we, we, we have experiences which are traumatic and frightening or invalidating, and we start to build these different parts which start to protect us in different ways. And those parts then get, get disconnected from the sense of flow, from the true self, if you like, or from awareness. And we start then to identify with those parts and we start to think often there might be a, a particular dominant part that people have. Uh, and we start to think of that part as being ourself. And, um, and so all and all those parts are at different levels of suffering. And, um, and in the model who um, was developed by a family therapist called Richard Swartz, um, um, he, he developed this technique of asking people to uh, focus on a part, and then and then he said, Well, how do you feel towards that part? And, uh, and they might say, oh, I hate that, you know, and, and, and so that aspect of myself. And then he said, well, okay, so let's explore that part of you that hates that part, and we'd do that for a little while. And, but eventually he'd say, well, how, how do you feel towards yourself now? And, and people would report, well, I just feel like myself. It's kind of like I feel a bit curious, I feel warm, I don't, I don't know, non-judgmental. And there's a sense in which... Um, through this process of inquiry, people were able to get an experience of mindfulness, if you like, a sense in which they were no longer identified with a particular part. It was a, um, a way of helping people get in touch with um, this sense of um, the self as flow or self-energy without using meditation. So um, it's a very valuable kind of skill. And, um, and, p- and people can get a sense of, um, of this through this kind of inquiry process. And um, so he, um, at, at, the, at the middle of the model, he had this idea of self, which we probably call you no know, self in, 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 in Buddhism, but the notion of Buddha nature. And if you go to like traditional um, Buddhist teachings, they talk about the four Brahma Viharas or the four heavenly abodes. And they're typically translated as love, compassion, joy and flow or calmness or equanimity and that but senses which those kind of qualities are what are present when you're more in self or no self. And, um, and Richard Swartz in, in terms of all his work um, and people's reports and their self-experience, he, he talked about the eight C's of when you're, when you're feeling more in the flow. He talked about compassion, curiosity, connection, calm, courage, clarity. Caring and creativity, and um, whereas the parts, um, the parts are often um, more. The parts typically are, he uses the metaphor as being burdened, so the sense in which our parts, the parts of, of us, are what, uh, where the suffering lies, where we've d- disconnected from the self. And he um, he talked about uh, two different kinds of managerial parts. Um, sorry, two different kinds of protective parts. Um, what he call managers and firefighters, and the um, the managers. A lot. Many of you will be familiar with these parts, and there are other sort of personality models have talked about these aspects. But like the the part of us that's protecting and controlling uh, of of ourselves or others, um, a seeker part, an achiever or performer part, a critic part, um, a judge part, a perfectionist part, a pleaser part a joker part, a giver or co-taker part, a rescuer part, an angry part, an anxiety part, a safety part, a shy part, so on, and so on, and so on, like, um, many people report very similar parts, but each one of us experiences it in a unique way, and, uh, you know, these parts developed when we were quite young, so, you know, one of the ways of staying safe at school might be to make people laugh, or another way of staying safe at, sc- at school might be to please people, or in our family as well. Of origin, so the managers are more like focused on the future. They're more proactive and trying to plan ahead. Whereas the uh, sometimes the uh, when the managers don't do their job very well, and we start to experience some kind of suffering or unwanted feeling, um, these other parts called firefighters jump in, and they're much more impulsive in this model. So, for example, binging, whether it's binging on drugs or alcohol or sex or food or whatever it might be. Or TV, or video games, whatever it might be. It's and one of the aspects, or of, uh, of firefighters, especially when it, like numb things out. If, if we if we're if we're having an uncomfortable uh, emotion, um, such as um, you know uh, shame or um, fear or um, other variations on those uncomfortable emotions, intense sadness, hurt, uh, um, rejection. Um, humiliation. Um, the, 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 often the job of the firefighter is to try and numb, numb those feelings out. So there's sometimes people just experience a numbness um, or a sense of confusion. Or even panic is, is often a way in which it's, it's um, the panic comes in and, and protect us, protects us from something else. Or um, even depression and, mani- and mania can be seen in this way as well. And um, And finally, in this model, he talked about exiles. That is the parts that were disowned, and they're often really um, could be very, very early. Like it could be infant parts. You know, like you know, for example, if someone was um, was traumatised and and was separated from their parents and sent to hospital when they were five months old, that part would still that would be quite traumatising. And the thing about trauma is that there's something about we get stuck in the past in that way and um so you might have the fearful child the abandoned child the rejected child the lonely child the hurt child etc um and we all have different aspects of that and uh in the therapy it's about um trying to 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 bring people to access self to in order to heal the the parts that have been um exiled but in order to do that the uh the first job is, is to actually get to know the protective parts and get to, get to befriend the protective parts because in the model, all parts are seen as being welcome. We don't want to reject any parts. But we can transform the parts um, through this work from the self and we can actually um, literally go back in time in our imagination. Remember, we're just a story anyway. So we can do lots of things in our imagination to heal ourselves and we can go back in time and re and retrieve our exiled childlike parts and be with them and give them what they needed at the time. And it's a lovely way, I found it quite a lovely way of working. And um, the, um, one of the, uh, um, a, a Zen teacher called uh, um, Flint Sparks um, um, rewrote the, uh, the four vows that, that I just read out from a in parts language. So he, he goes... Parts are numerous, um, I take up the practice of freeing them from their extreme roles. So the sense is often the protector parts can actually get carried away in the trying to protect us uh, and and, and, somewhere, and that can often become really problematic. Uh, so like, you know, in perfectionism or OCD or those kinds of behaviours that, um, that the actual the, the part that's trying to protect us creates more problems for us in the long run. And, and if, we, if our parts get polarized in some way, for example, we might have a, a, a firefighter part that likes to binge and then a, a more critical protector part that's very dismissive of the firefighter part and those parts can get polarized and become increasingly mean to each other as well. Just in the same way as families can get polarized or nations can get polarized. Um, And and the problem with polarisation, it it makes people or nations more extreme in their retaliation. And one of the the things about this model is to work within ourselves to to release us from any kind of polarizations we might be experiencing. So parts are numerous. I take up the practice of freeing them from their extreme roles. Um, And he goes, Burdens, that is the extreme beliefs and emotions that the parts carry, uh, burdens are numerous and create distortion and delusion. I take up the practice of unburdening, which leads to the clarity of of self-leadership. And experiences on my path endlessly trigger parts that need healing. I take up the practice of using those, those trailheads or those upsets to identify and heal all those suffering parts. Uh, self leadership is unsurpassable. I take up the practice of embodying self energy. So, in that way, the, the, the Buddha mind or the Buddha way is re, re, reinterpreted here as self leadership. So, the sense in which we have all these, like, um, there's all these beings, but we all have all these little um, sub personalities within ourselves that need attention and healing as well. And, um, and that comes through the contacting the self. So, um, in the way in which we heal our parts, we can draw upon mindfulness meditation. Um, we can draw upon the inquiry method, and we can also draw upon active imagination, especially when working with past traumas. And uh, and the other way is working with parts in real time in our everyday lives. And and, and that's really quite similar to um, you know the way in which Joker would teach, in the sense that she'd say, well. Try and become aware of the of the these patterns that arise, the um, the thoughts and beliefs that you get caught in, and uh, and just start to you know start to observe them, get to know them, and in that process you start to transform them. And so this is just another extension of that in the sense in which you can give these parts a name. Uh, it could be a it could be a human name like Bill or Mary, or it could be a kind of phrase like. A, um, it could be an animal, like the tiger, or it could be, um, you know, something like the uh, the safety officer. But you, people give them all different names. You, you use those names and uh, to start to um, work with the parts in real life. You get to know yourself and you start to notice the patterns that come up. And you go, ah, that's just my caretaker, you know, self again, and uh, my caretaker part, and or my rescuer part, and. Uh, and so you you start to it's, it's it's a very nice way of getting to to know ourselves. I mean, I mean, and, and you know, Dogen says to to study the Buddha way or to study the enlightened ways is, is to study the self. So we start off by studying the self. And uh, so it's just like a contemporary um, psychotherapy model. To as just one ex- extra skillful means that we can draw upon. So I'll. Um We'll do some work in the afternoon on writing. I'll, I'll give you a few more um, instructions as to about how to go about um, identifying a part and befriending a part. It's quite fun. And also, in our inquiry practice, um, when, when uh, uh, we do this in public, often it's best to start working with our. Parts of us that are more protective of us. Um, it's always good to start with those parts rather than going to like straight to the real vulnerable exile part that might be holding a lot of um, intense, uh, um, difficult um, beliefs and, and feelings. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking now and I'll turn this off.